When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Know Your Options, the Measured Risk Podcast. The ultimate guide to navigating the volatile nature of the markets while managing risk purposefully. Join us as we challenge the theory behind traditional asset allocation and dive into the mathematics of investing. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out, this podcast offers valuable insights and practical advice to help you make informed decisions and manage your money wisely. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of calculated risks together. Well, welcome to Relationship. I am Justin Cernitz, and I have my wife and partner here. You could say your name. Candice Shambron. And we are law partners, and we're also married, which is uh, sometimes a bit much. But we are here today, and we're here to record our podcast. And our guests on Relationship of all time are Larry Kriesmer and Bernard Sarovsky. They're the co-founders of Measured Risk Portfolios a financial technology firm that specializes in creating custom investment solutions for institutional clients. We'll get into that, what more of that, what that means soon. With decades of experience in the financial industry, Kriesmer and Sarovsky are widely recognized as pioneers in the development of risk management tools and techniques. Today, Measured Risk Portfolios is known for its advanced risk analytics and investment models that help clients achieve their investment objectives while effectively managing risk. Welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. Now, before we begin and get really deep um, in our questioning, I need to first understand exactly, I mean, I, I, I understand in the most general sense, but if you can tell the audience exactly what it is that Measured Risk Portfolios does, um, that would be great. Bernard, take it away. Nope. You go first and I'll clean up. Oh, sure. Okay. I'll clean up. I like it. Thanks a lot, Larry. What we do is we, you know, Larry and I have a long history in the financial services industry, and we lived through the 20, the turn of the century debacle, 21, 22. And we both came to the realization that the traditional portfolio construction, it doesn't give clients any peace of mind in terms of what will happen. Our crystal ball fell off our tables for all of us collectively many times. So we decided to rethink the way a portfolio should be constructed. And what we did is we took ourselves off to London to go learn how to do a particular strategy that is actually very common in Europe. And we were then able to bring that strategy over to the United States and do it in a open platform, meaning it's in a way that you can see it, which is completely transparent. And when things are going rough, you know, when the markets get rough, we build a portfolio with a finite predetermined downside at the outset. So instead of taking your million dollar portfolio and putting it into this, that, and the other, which who knows how they're going to perform. We take your million-dollar portfolio and we put the bulk of it into an asset class that we're very, very certain about its performance with respect to the you know the positive returns. And then we take the other, a very small piece of it, and we put it into another um, investment that we know the worst it can do is lose 100% of its value. But if it, if it goes well, it can make more than two or 300%. And when we pair those two things together, where you've got the bulk of your portfolio in something very, very safe and predictable, and you have a small amount of your portfolio in something 
that can have explosive growth all go away, we know at the very outset when we pair those things together just how bad it can be. In terms of the upside, that will take care of itself. So when the upside arrives, it will perform because of the pieces that we've constructed together. And, you know, having sat with clients, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, and let me just say, what did Bernard say? Because the, the challenge in this uh, type of arrangement is, wow, what, what did we just do? And I think that the recognition is that Bernard and I came to understand many, many years ago that the traditional market approach to diversification, putting you know small amounts of money into a lot of different things to try and avoid losing money, works when things are normal, and it doesn't work when things are not normal. And the problem is, is that when things are not normal, is when you need it to work. So this is literally this is literally like trying to build, you know, the perfect umbrella that you can't get out of the house because it's raining. And wow. so it, fundamentally we had to do something different and that that different was literally scrapping the idea behind investing directly in the market and we chose to you have to do something different in order to get a different result. And so we 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 went to a product that is um, sold by insurance companies, marketed and does millions and um, probably, I don't know, billions of dollars a year in sales. And we just deconstructed it and made it available in a brokerage account. So that's, that's the sort of high level. What we're trying to do in this whole process is eliminate that uncertainty that happens when markets start to decline. Because when the markets are rising, nobody has any anxiety. Well, some people do. Some people are concerned it's going to stop because, you know, eventually everything has to stop going up. But the like reality is, is that... I said, I don't even like to sign into my account right now, you know, because it's so Yeah, small. exactly. But, but imagine if you could have an ex, uh, an, a conversation with your advisor or your team that's managing your, your portfolio and set a, a risk budget for the year that you have a, a high degree of confidence would be accurate. With, you don't have any idea what you're going to make on the upside, but you know going into like a one-year period uh, what it is that you are risking. And if, if you have that kind of confidence – that's what we're really offering to uh, institutions and to, and just not necessarily just high net worth people, but just people that's um, available. And it's something that can be constructed. All right. So well, the obvious question should be a good point though. Um, Cause that was going to, that's a good lead into my, my question. Cause I was going to ask you, we you know when I was reading a little bit about you guys, um, it seemed like you guys created this, um, product for institutional clients. And so I was going to ask you, well, if, if somebody like me um, who has a diversified portfolio, who we just were talking about the fact that we don't want to log into our, our financial account because I, I can't bear to look at it because whether it's 20 or 30% of it has just been gone. How do we have access to your product? Do you have a list of institutional clients that use your product? If we were, you know, just average Joes that didn't want to go through the institution to do our investing, how would we get to your product? Because I'm interested, it, it, you know, sign me up. I mean, when I operate <laughs> under the, the, you know, the, the rule of thumb that I think most people that are realists operate, which is there are no certainties except death and taxes. When you say that, you know, this has been the Pence ultimate of all products, that minimizes the most amount of risk in the investment arena, you know, people like us that are, you know, right now in shock and, and, and turning to real estate in a down market as a way to, you know, put our money, where do we go to get your product? 
So there's a, a distribution is available through, um, we have advisors that are located all throughout the country. And if you uh, go to our website, which is measuredriskportfolios.com or mrpfolios.com, you can do a contact us and we can refer you out to an advisor. Uh, we generally don't work directly with the public. And that's because these, these types of contracts or these types of um, portfolios that we build at their primary level, there's very straightforward to understand. We take a very, very significant amount of capital and we buy the safest type of asset class we can. So most of your money is actually uh, not in any significant uh, harm's way. And then we take a adjustable amount or measured amount of uh, your capital and we put it into an asset class that can actually lose 100% of its value. And you have to understand how that works and what the mechanics are. And so we really do rely on other external advisors to help you with that decision-making process. But this can be managed down to the, the $100,000 account level. Um, so it's not like it takes a, a million dollars or $500 million to, to access this type of strategy. Okay. And, I know we're contacting you after this podcast. <laughs> Okay, I, mean, I, think exactly. the short answer to, I think the short answer to your question is, yes, we can. Uh, you know, we've, we've built it to, to a point where it's, as Larry correctly points out, you know, we, we can get it, scale it down to very small numbers. It's available to, to individuals. Uh, it's not something which is only in the, you know, it's not, it's not only available to institutional money. It's available to, to individuals. We, we, are we allowed to say names of companies where we custody assets or is that not allowed? I, I don't know. Is there any rule on that? Uh, let's just keep it generic. We can custody on a number of different platforms, and that's uh, basically flexible for the investor. So it's it's um, that won't be an issue for us. Um, and, and I think I'm oh, sorry. And you yeah, said, and I think that every year you guys reassess with the client, or the institution would assess with the, the client. To, you know, to yeah, that's what that's reach. why we work with. That's why we work with intermediaries and other advisors so that you can have somebody who is your advocate for making sure that the amount of risk that we're putting into the portfolio is still appropriate for you. We can't scale our operations if we have a personal relationship with every person. You know, So that's why we rely on the advisors out there to have that personal relationship, to understand better your specific investment needs and your investment horizon, and what type of risk tolerance you can manage. And then they'll help us um, pair you up with the right amount of risk for the portfolio strategy that we offer. And that's the, that's the relationship. Um, we do this for some, some people through an, a sub-advisory relationship. We do it for other people through a solicitation arrangement. Uh, but in every case, there's some advisor between uh, you or the public and us so that we have some, some way of um, handling that type of specific recommendation. So that's the primary thing, but it really is, you know, our whole goal was to bring some, uh, I have to tell you, Bernard and I went through this uh, 2000, 2002 uh, tech bubble. That's a long time ago, you know, 20 something years ago. And leading up to that, we had uh, been building portfolios using exchange traded products, exchange traded funds, and trying to get into the sort of indexing or sort of a more passive approach with a you know very diversified portfolio. And what we experienced was just back-to-back -back years of losing money with no with no kind of risk control other than diversification. And so when the markets start to decline and you're down five percent or seven percent or nine percent, we really you know that's just that's that's 
par for the course. But when the markets start to accelerate their sell-off and they get to 16% or 23% or whatever it is, every client is going to have their own number where their heart starts to palpitate and they can't really function very well. And if they reach, yeah. And, and believe me, so do advisors. I mean, this is the sort of, the, not the dark secret, but it's the reality that if you're an advisor and you've got a, a flock of clients who you're in charge of taking care of and they start to, you know, panic, frankly, and they they want out of what you've recommended that they be in and they start getting under your skin about getting me out of this thing that's going down another three percent this week and there's a terrible thing that happens to the advisor and that is that they can start to lose confidence in their own recommendations and if that happens and the and the decision is made that you have to basically capitulate to the client's fears then what inevitably happens is that client sells out at or near a bottom and that is what is the big danger because the the risk is that that person sells out and then is stuck with this terrible decision of making uh, the un, un you know unmakeable decision of when to get back into investing because right. inevitably it's not when it's gone down another 5% it's after it's recovered 5% or after it's recovered 10% and so that loss is now baked in gone hard hard number can't be recovered and so that is the thing that Bernard and I were really trying to focus on. How are we going to help clients and, frankly, help our own practice survive? So when there is the inevitable big, bad, bear market, that we're not going to be torn up by it and that our clients wouldn't be torn up by it either. And that was the, the primary focus of trying to come up with something else besides just a mix of this uh, new position. I mean, there are a whole host of uh, assets that came out of the financial crisis and that came out of the uh, tech bubble. We have managed futures and inverse products and products that go zig when the market goes zag. Uh, all of these things are designed to give us a, a bunch of tools that you can put through an optimization platform. And unfortunately, I look backward and say, well, had I known what was coming, I could have built this portfolio, which would have performed beautifully. The problem is that's looking backwards. Right. And every investment you ever make is going to say past performance is not indicative of future results. I agree with that. But that, that, that actually brings me to a, a great next point. So we're actually in a situation right now. So if you were to take the situation we're in right now and part of our portfolio or a big part of it is with a big institution like Steeple, the question becomes, OK, um, how do we now pivot? How do we now recover based on what we now know is available by way of your product. Do I call the institution up that I have a lot, you know, a huge part of my portfolio in and say, hey, people, are you using, you know, measured risk portfolios product? And if not, can you get it? Or what does, what does the average folks like us do when now we know that this exists, your product, we're stuck in, you know, where we're at. How do we pivot? How do we make it better? It's a great question, that, and it's a two-part answer. In the first instance, you know, you would contact them and say, hey, do you guys have this product and or can you get it? And it's a question of how significant is your advisor within the context of that entity. You know, if they're a very, you know, if they're a tiny advisor in a very big firm, they're probably going to be told, you know, something not wonderful. If, if on the other hand, they're a, you know, they're a major producer, uh, they, they would reach out to us and we would then do the appropriate. In the, you know, what, 10 years ago? Like 10 years ago, we yeah. the cover of Barron's. Yeah. So he's, I, I would like to think he's not a little guy. 
Am I yeah, okay, fair, fair enough. You know, then he would reach out to their compliance department that would then reach out to us and we'd reach out to them and we would do what's called, a, they do a due diligence package and we, we sign an agreement. That's the one way. If on the other hand, it's somebody who's not, you know, who, who hasn't been on the cover of Barron's and then the choice is that you have to decide whether or not you want to stay in, in that relationship with those limited choices that he has available to you. It's just that simple. You know, it's, you know, what we're doing isn't, isn't not doable by others, but nobody else, you know, hardly anybody else is doing it. That's the whole thing. And it's like, come on, people, this is, this is, this is a so much better way of doing it because our portfolio is based on math you know, and math we can all understand. Meaning when the market goes down 10%, you know, you need to go up 11% to get back to break even, which is, you know, which is a pretty common re return metric. When the market drops 20%, however, things are starting to get a little more interesting. You have to go up 25. So it's not this linear relationship. So when you, when the market drops 50%, it's got to go up a hundred percent. So now you're talking about a sequence of events that is, you know, much lower probability of, of, an, of having a positive outcome. And especially when you get into those, you know, 20 plus percent down, down you know, drawdowns, the likelihood of a very quick recovery is, is quite slim. And, you know, you know, there's enough macroeconomic factors out there today to make us go, well, you know, maybe we have to go down another 20 before we go up 20. Right. That doesn't feel so, that, that doesn't feel so good. Yeah. So especially when, you know, maybe we have to go down 50 before we go up 20. You know, that feels even worse. Right. And, and the, but the worst part of that conversation is the not knowing. It's the, it's the unknown, how bad is it going to get? On the other hand, maybe this is it. Maybe tomorrow the Fed says, you know what, we think we're done with, with interest rates or whatever they say, and the market takes off, and you don't want to not be in there to capture that recovery. So, you know, what our portfolio allows is to have a finite, knowable drawdown while having an an unlimited, you know, upside capture, and we 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 just think that that metric of unlimited upside with limited downside, we just think is fantastic. I mean, it's it's. Right. Let me it's let me address the pivot. So, just Justin had to leave for just a, a split second, but I'm I'm still here, so I hope that didn't kind of throw you off. But he no, has to address something yeah. right away. But yeah, I'm no certainly well, let me let me address the pivot because one of the things that's interesting about this is if you if you're in a you know if you're suffered a ten or a fifteen or twenty percent loss it's during twenty twenty two and you're and we're sitting here kind of waffling about whether or not the market's going to stage a recovery or just you know roll over and have the second half of the twenty or thirty percent additional loss which you know we don't know until until it gets in the record books. What we offer at any given moment, literally any any moment in time, is the ability to set a new floor versus what you've got now because what what a traditional portfolio has now is losses that they've already suffered and more unknown losses that could occur correct now they can be mitigated by how much uh, cash or other types of investments that are put into the portfolio so you can build a portfolio that might have only a you know a, a projected drawdown of six percent over a period of, of rough time but it's a projected loss that could in theory um, spiral into 16% loss or some number bigger than you anticipated if certain things don't behave a certain way. What we're able to do in a much more structured way is build a portfolio using, um, using things that are very transparent so you can see what the moving parts are to build you a new level of downside protection. And it's, do it's done through um, defining how much risk we're going to put in the portfolio. Now, that amount of risk that you put in the portfolio is directly related to how much participation you're going to get on recovery. So if you have only a small amount of risk today 
and the market takes off like a shot, you're only going to get a small amount of that that participation. But the good news is it only takes about 10 to 15% of your portfolio at risk to have a pretty good shot at having a very strong participation rate in the market's movement. So you don't have to put 30 or 40 or 50% of your portfolio at risk in order to get that type of movement. And that's what we've been able to do now for you know upwards of 15 years. We started the started the strategy back early, early in 2006. And we've been doing this for a long, long time now. So we've got a lot of market experience, uh, a lot of history that we can share with people and document different time periods and be able to show how this thing works. And, and what's nice about it is that we're not... We don't know what's going to happen. No one knows, but we do know what uh, what the worst case scenario is before we before we start before you actually you know, take your first step. That's really great. Thank you for sharing that, and, and you've educated me on something that I never know that I want. Um, I do want to kind of segue into you know when Justin and I, as law partners and partners in life, were married, we created a relationship because you know what. The, the the things that I'm interested in looking to, the resources that I look into to kind of learn about the things that I'm interested, I was seeing that there was a gap of void with hearing about the do's and don'ts and the real nitty gritty stuff about partnerships and people going into business. So I said to Justin, I said, I really want to have a real authentic dialogue with people out there that are either partners in life, partners in business, or both like Justin and I are. And, you know, so I, I, cause I find it fascinating because everybody um, talks about either the end product or the end service of what it is that they're passionate about and things that they do. But, but for your relationship and the reasons why you guys decided to partner up and do this, nobody gets to hear about that. And that's the stuff I always like the backstory. I always like to know, you know, all the ins and outs. And so I want to segue into ask you guys the obvious questions, um, or not the obvious, or not so obvious questions about what are some of the pitfalls um, that you guys have run into as a successful partnership, now you guys, you said that you've been doing this for what, 15 years now. What, did you guys deal with any struggles um, in the beginning of a partnership or was, it, or was it something that you got, it just gelled right away and from that point forward, you haven't looked back and everything has been smooth sailing. I want the audience to really hear um, because there are a lot of people that want to go into business together, right? You always hear don't go into business with your friends. Don't go into business with your family members. I want to hear from two successful partners that, you know, offer a really, really great product and service. Um, what you guys have experienced in your partnership from the very beginning to what it is that you experience now as partners. Let me just start off by saying that, you know, you use the terms ins and outs, but when it comes to Larry and I, there's been no ins and outs. Just, <laughs> you know, we have our respective spouses for, you know, to cover that. But in terms yes, of business the, partnership, exactly. <laughs> you know, but we do refer to each other sometimes as like, like our day, my daytime partner's Larry, you know, and sometimes <laughs> when I'm in a conversation, I say, and my partner, Larry, and people like looking at me, well, hang on. So, well, anyway, there's, and, and there's my wife type of thing. So, um, so, so we been able to separate those two quite, quite well. You know, it's interesting, you know, I used to be housed with a big insurance company and I got tired of paying the couple hundred dollars a month rent. And I met Larry at, at a company event. He was affiliated with the same company and, he had his own office and I was all excited about, oh, maybe I can do an office share arrangement with you. And he's like, yeah, that'd be cool. And we teamed up, 
we kind of tiptoed into the whole thing. It wasn't it wasn't like a premeditated let's partner up. And you know, I think I shook up Larry's life just a little bit. I and, and I assume he's going to get that nod of approval of hell yeah. <laughs> his, calendar, his calendar used to be you know da 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 da, and then you know. Wednesdays and Fridays, there'd be some, you know, some time available to actually do something work related with him. But that changed quite quickly. I came over, brought a couple of people with me and um, shook things up five, a little bit. Five people, Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> you even remember those five people. <laughs> I don't remember the number, but anyway. Uh-huh. I do. Um, and, you know, I think what's made our partnership unique, and it was about a year later where Larry said, look, instead of doing this, part, this, this office share thing, after he presented me with my first bill, which was off by about a, you know, a factor of enormous, um, and the spreadsheet he had built had a, had a, a negative where there should have been a positive, which caused me to owe him more money than I earned that whole year, which we, which we resolved amicably. I was, just, I was just testing Bernard to see how he was doing on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, at some point, Larry said, you know, why don't we just join all of our, our stuff together and we'll we'll set it up this way and we drew we drew up a partnership agreement but the one thing i think that's been unique in our relationship is number one is we don't do anything major unless both of us agree so we both hold veto power over making you know really big decisions you know small decisions go make them some are going to be right some are going to be wrong you know and there's no holding one you know, there's no looking back and saying, you decided to do that. There's, there, there's no blame game that goes on here. We have each other's backs. You know, if, if I do something and it's, it didn't work out perfectly, I know Larry's got my back. If he does something, I've got his back. Because we, we know that our intent here isn't to try and um, beat out the other guy. Our intent is to try and build something solid. You know, the client has to come first. So everything we do is client-focused. You know, if something happens and it's and we have to do something to you, there's nothing to to discuss here, you know. There've been times where I've had to take extended breaks from work, and Larry just says, "You know, I've got the, you know, I've got the con, and you know, I've got the control, whatever it might be." And uh, same, you know, same goes the other way. If he needs to, okay, just go get it done. When you go on vacation, I'm, I'm not going to try call you. Just go be away from us. Go have a good time. You, you know, you call me. I don't want to call you. That type of thing. Right. So those have been some of my experiences, and I have to say, you know, I've, I've, I've you know, here we are. I think it was what 17 years later, Larry. Yeah. Right. Give or take a week or two. And we've actually almost killed each other. I think it's been four or five times, but one would think it's been because of anger, but it's the exact opposite. We've had these laughing fits that just break down into these hysterical bouts of laughter where we're both almost choking and I've had to leave the room on more than one occasion. I mean, it's just... But I love that you're saying that because that's exactly it. I kind of feel like most people in the business world feel like they have, it has to always be about business. And I love what you just said, because one of the, the, the keys to our success, both in our partnership and business with our entire law firm and our and our marriage is laughter, is that yeah. we have a great sense of humor and we know that it isn't always about business because it can't always be about business because we're human, right? I'm actually... Right. I just, she you talks, are very funny, she, she just talks more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I said, I'm like the Fred Norris on like the, this show. I may get like a word in. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Exactly. So I know my role. It's also you know, part of being the partner. I, I know my role. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. I, I think that uh, in a similar way, you know, Bernard and I are not dissimilar to our strategy because I'm very systems oriented. I'm an engineering kind of a thinker. And Bernard is a ready fire aim kind of a guy. And without him, 
there wouldn't be nearly as much uh, activity and energy and and you know success frankly um and he understands what i can do and i understand what he can do and he needs to do what he does i need to do what i do and i think in that respect having a partnership that has dissimilar skill sets is actually helpful because you're not you know you're not stepping on each other's toes on on what you want to do and he goes uh, so that, way right and you both recognize each other if your strengths and weaknesses are completely opposite which is our in our situation you know the, the the natural emotion that might come from ego doesn't come out because everybody's staying in their lane because we recognize what yeah. you know strengths and weaknesses are but what's, what's exactly. not clear though and i want to go back to what bernard had said before was we kind of you know figure out you know each of us get to make you know the the big decisions together and little stuff you know we don't have to really clear with each other but that's not a clear type of a situation it's not like you sit out you know you set out you have a partnership and you are able to think of every possible scenario under the sun as to what a big decision is so when you don't have an established list because that would be an impossibility of you know what are big decisions how do you guys go about determining whether something's a big decision or not because i could totally see in any situation where somebody says well, in my mind, this isn't a big decision. So I'm just going to pull the plot, you know, pull the trigger on this. And the other person's like, what are you talking about? This was a huge decision that you should have consulted me on. So how do you deal with situations like that? I mean, I, I'm going to take that on because I remember the very first time Larry laid out, you know, a, a rather what I considered princely sum on a marketing thing. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and, but again, in the back of my mind is this thought of, is Larry's intent to do us harm or is his intent to further our goals right and in terms of the like to do us harm doesn't even enter the the thought process for me like larry's not going to take an action that he deliberately believes is going to do us harm he's not intentionally kind of so he's doing it with the best of intention and if it means we have to spend some astronomical amount on a marketing thing that i might otherwise have gone whoa i would have given him the time to to talk to me in more detail about it and then i would have gone oh yeah that makes sense and so you have to kind of question the, you know, if there's a fundamental trust between the two people, uh, you, you can overcome those those things, even when, in my mind, it's kind of like, well, wow, that was more than I thought was kind of within that little framework of small, um, but it happened and it, it worked. And I was like, great. Then we, so I come back around and go, let's do that again, <laughs> you know, type of thing. All right. But I think what's important too is to understand that we don't know if it's going to work. So it's really important to focus on the decision and the information you had to make the decision rather than the outcome of the decision. And that's one of the things that Bernard and I, I think because we're traders and we are dealing with investment management, not every trade works out. Not every, not every decision you make is a winner. So the important thing to focus on is, was the information available to us leading us to a decision that we made that was a good decision and not not a bad outcome from a good decision. So that's really critical in your thinking um, when you're trying to figure out whether or not a decision made was good or bad. And one of my analogies is if, you, if you've been at a bar and you've been drinking too much and you have this choice of getting in your car and driving home or getting an Uber to take you home, Clearly, the Uber is the better decision, right. unless the Uber unless the Uber driver has been drinking and right. he puts you into an accident. Right? right? Well, that's a bad outcome to a good decision. And right. conversely, if you've gotten into the car yourself and managed to get home without having an accident, 
well, that's a good outcome to a very bad decision. And so understanding the difference is really helpful. I think that brings us back around to the intent of the, of the, of the fundamental decision. Was the intent to try and do, do, do us harm or was the intent to do us good, even though it was something that was, you know, and there there was no doubt in my mind, you know, it it was with a good intent. So we carry on and, you know, I said, And, and also importantly, I learned from Bernard, he vocalizes what his concerns were. And so now I have a a better data point to understand that, okay, that number was too large for his comfort level. And that sets a point where I get it, you know, I get to know, because to your point, we can't have a list of anything over 5,000 or, you know, whatever, pick the number. Uh, That's just not a functional way to operate. Um, So, but it it doesn't mean I can't ignore his response. Uh, I have to be, I have to be sensitive, but you, if, if you're the first time in a partnership sharing that information, you can't expect the the partner to already know this they're just getting to know the information and so you have to allow you know if you're the if you're on the receiving end of something that's disappointing you you have to let your partner know and you have to be aware that they didn't know and so you can't hold them responsible i always tell everybody communicate and, and, and that's a good segue into like the final question here uh because uh while i love my partner and my wife if this podcast potentially goes till 10 o'clock tonight um, so, <laughs> so I, I, as I'm looking at the clock and we all have things going on, my question uh-huh. is, if you had to leave, give anybody any advice that's getting into a partnership, what would it be and why? Well, make it simple. How about what not to do or what is your biggest lesson of what not to do in a partnership? Or just answer her question. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you want to take us on first or you want me to go? Do we start? Yeah, you know, gosh, I I think you you can't rely on your partner to make sort of a bigger contribution. You have to be thinking about this, that, you know, if you're in a 50-50 partnership, you need to really put in a little more than 50%. Uh, If that's the intent, then, and you do it in a genuine way, uh, hopefully that brings out of your partner the same type of willingness to work hard and contribute. And if those are the two pieces, I think that's going to that's going to lead to a successful you know, interaction. And ultimately, as Bernard always says, and we say here at the firm, it's in our case, it's the mission, which is the client first. And if we're all focusing on that and you have the same uh, target, then I think you're going to have a good outcome. I mean, I want to add something else there, which is focus on your core excellences. You know, there, there's certain things that Larry does and he's just so ridiculously good at that for me to even try to take the time and effort to to learn that or, or to do that is it's just silly because it's just things that literally make my stomach go gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Like I don't like to do those things. And then and there's things that make Larry's stomach go gurgle, 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 which I happen to to enjoy doing. There's no reason for him to even try and gain any level of competence in that other than to say, hey, Bernard, take care of this. Or for me to say, hey, Larry, take care of that or whatever it might be. So, and I think that to recognize your weaknesses is is critical actually. To, to a successful partnership and making sure that if if your weaknesses are complemented by your partner's strengths, well, then, you know, one plus one is three. Carry on. Right. And that goes right down to the staff, too. We, we, I make it very clear to our staff what I what I will not do. And if you ask me to do it, I won't do it. And it'll be, it'll be a bad outcome. So don't ask me to do this. <laughs> so that's that's part of being really clear and, you know, back to communicating. That's a great way to look at it because that's how we hire now. We yeah. hire not based on position. We hire based on people's strengths because people are happy when they're doing something that they're good at. 
or something mm -hmm. that you know they they either they're good at or you know they love to do. So we just basically hire and say, okay, what are you really good at and what do you enjoy doing, and we'll find a position for you. Rather than yeah, that's perfect. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And and where can our listeners find you guys? I want to give you a moment to tell everybody where uh, they can find and measured risk invest portfolios and uh, how to get in touch with you guys. Measured, yeah, measuredriskportfolios.com. Okay. And our our general email would be info, I-N-F-O, at MRP, as in measured risk portfolios. So MRP folios, F-O-L-I-O-S dot com. Or it's a lot easier just to go to the Measured Risk Portfolios website and click on the contact us. It's that way. Fantastic. Uh, Larry, Bernard, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It was actually really great. And uh, thank you so much. This interview also may contain statements that constitute endorsements of Measured Risk Portfolios, also known as MRP. Please note that any such statements are not made by clients of MRP, but by representatives of other investment advisory firms that work with MRP. No compensation was offered or given in exchange for these statements. However, a conflict of interest exists due to the incentive to give an endorsement in the interest of a good future working relationship between the endorser and MRP.